Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, it's Friday the 14th of August. I'm Rob Hutton and the sauna in my back garden is strictly for charitable purposes. Welcome back to Paper Cuts, the modern newspaper review, where we comb the beaches of journalism to see what delights have been washed up on the shore after the previous night's shipwreck. We're out mid-morning every Monday, Wednesday and Friday, so subscribe on your favourite podcast app and you'll never miss an episode. Now, here are the headlines for today's show. Football men bosses eye up football woman boss. Might the Lionesses coach move over to the men's squad? Exhibit A. British Museum curator named as man sacked over missing artefacts. And Starmer Chameleon. Labour leader accused of new climb down over workers' rights. Welcome to Paper Cuts. We read the papers so you don't have to. Thanks for joining us on Paper Cuts. I'm Rob Hutton and joining me is author, journalist and professional French exile, Marie Leconte. Bonjour. And also joining us is author, journalist and professional know-it-all, John Elledge. Hello. So, what have we got on the front pages today? John. So, in the tabloids, we have basically a, a clean sweep on the death of uh, Michael Parkinson. Uh, the Sun has gone with um, a, a lovely picture of Parkinson and Muhammad Ali. I think they're only pretending to hit each other, uh, just so it can use the headline, The Greatest, and so is Muhammad Ali. Uh, the Mirror has just gone with Our Greatest, but it doesn't have the picture, so it's just... I don't, not it's a nice quite. picture of Parky. It is. It's a lovely picture of Parky, but it's like... I'm not quite sure how the reference works there. Um, the Daily Star's got actually a much better picture, which is Parker being menaced by Emu. Uh, the, the headline is The King. Uh, and lastly, the Metro has gone for a sort of decorative tea towel approach with like, you know, just lots of kind of like pictures of him kind of in a sort of hazy. It looks like a dream sequence. OK, I, I, at the risk of sacrilege. I mean, they've done a lot on him. They have done a lot on him. He, 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 I did not feel like Michael Parkinson was that big a part of my upbringing, and I am in my forties. I do feel like maybe this is this is this is a tell as to who the newspapers are aimed at. These yeah, days. I mean, I'm very nearly in my fifties, and I, I I only sort of am aware of him of, from clips. But Marie, I mean, what do you, what's your favourite childhood memory of Parkinson? So actually, there are too many to count, which um, so <laughs> <laughs> would be really hard. Even like choking up just thinking about yeah. it. Yeah, was it was know. it when he his interview with Rod Earl and Emu? <laughs> Jesus Christ, man! <laughs> I, but I'm just doing the maths, and, and like, I think he was off air. He let he stopped being on television, except for like adverts and stuff, in 2007. Am I right in thinking that's before you even arrived in the country? That is entirely correct. And yes, you've Tom. been here a bloody long time. Yeah. I have. I have been here for nearly 15 years. Yeah, it just it, it just feels telling, is to yeah, it, it, vague hints that that a lot of their readers are a bit older. But it's not all parky news. Marie, you've got you've got non, non-parky non stories. Uh, yes, I do. Uh, the Guardian has gone for the slightly dry uh, thousands missed top grades as A-level results plummet. Um, which is uh, quite, quite a big story, but still. 
Um, in the telegraph, we've got France stops fewer migrants despite 480 million aid, um, which I don't know. I, I feel Bloody like I've French. got to. Yeah. <laughs> <Does> that... <laughs> How much of that 480 did you get? No comment, Your Honour. <laughs> no, I, I am here in a studio at 9am, so not that much. Otherwise, <laughs> you'd never see me again. Um, and then in the Daily Mail, we have uh, actually quite a fun crime, which I believe we'll talk about later. Museum Sachs top expert over its missing treasures. Yes, actually, and the mail, I would have expected the mail to go absolutely sort of parky mad. But in fact, it's, they've done three pages on him quite, quite far inside and, and a little is, bit yeah. on the front. I mean, it's, which is about right. So, yeah, we should say they all did have pictures uh, yeah. of parky on the pages. Do you know what there isn't uh, for a Friday the day after um, A-level results? No pics of attractive young blonde people jumping in the air with their A-level results. <laughs> That's, I mean, actually, no, but I mean, it's been a few years actually because I, um, I used to work at the picture desk of the Telegraph, and I did like that was my job. I think two years running, just find the sort of like ho- hottest children really uh, to put um, <laughs> on the website. Um, so you know, I, I, I did used to do that, but I think it's been a good few years now. I think COVID killed that as well. What you can get um, in the uh, Daily Star, there's a fantastic free glossy lionesses poster. And um, I think also... Yeah, Rob, fancy that. I, I in the Express. How embarrassing for us. We've turned up wearing the same poster. That's, um, but, John, what's that you've got in the mirror? That's oddly, oddly enough, it is, it is a poster of, um, of, of a football team. It's, so this is synergy, right? This is, um, this, is this thing where you, uh, they, what they said if, if all the newspapers are owned by the same company, they can finally save some money. <laughs> and, uh, and this is what they've done. They've just printed the same poster. All, yeah, I wonder, yeah, was there a deal enough. with a company that makes posters or something? Speaking of the Lionesses, it's soccer ball time. And here to take you through it, the Papercuts team has brought together the three people in Britain arguably least qualified to talk about sport. Marie, what's the big story on the back pages? So Serena Weekman, uh, who is the current manager of the uh, women's football team uh, in England, which arguably has done a very, very good job, is apparently potentially maybe going to uh, have a go at uh, Gareth Southgate's job after he leaves, which is actually quite a big story, to be fair. Do do we actually think that this is actually going to happen? What? I mean, it does feel like um, so. It's, oh, what's his name? Bullingham, there, the head of the, the the football association, was clearly just asked at a press conference. Um, and to be fair to the man, he did give quite a fulsome response. It wasn't just like, yeah, we'd consider that. It's like, no, we would consider the best person for the job. She's clearly doing very well. I think it, it you know, it, I think he was saying it is a serious possibility somewhere down the line. But he is not saying that it's something that's under serious consideration at this precise moment. Mm, in no, she's and, not and, talking and, to HR right now. Yeah, and, and the thing about football... Haggling over pensions. The thing about point. football news is like football matches don't happen every day. So the rest of the week, you've sort of got to... You've got to find your news. So you... I mean, I I feel like you know, as, as political journalists here, we don't really have a <laughs> leg to stand on. <laughs> yeah, okay, fair enough. <laughs> a quote we... taken out of context and blown up so we can make a headline. Yes. Well, governor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and yeah, I mean, more seriously, all you know, three papers have gone really big uh, on the back pages on that story. I would say with like reasonably good headlines. So we've got the three. No, actually, that's quite bad. The mirror has gone with the three lioness, uh, which is not. Tremendous. That doesn't work at all. No, it no, does not. No, no it does not. Uh, the three lioness on the shirt. It just it doesn't scan. No, no. It does not. Um, the star went for gates open. Which is South Gate, yeah, you see, South Gate's going, fine. so it's I can talk you through it. A bit yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah. Have all the subs gone on holiday? This is rubbish. Uh, no, I... Hmm. 
Hmm. And the son has gone with Wig of her own, um, <laughs> which is actually. <laughs> Sort of, I, mean, it, I would say it's the best one from a very low bar. John, would you like to guess how many female managers of male teams there are in the English League? Well, Rob, I'm very glad to tell you I don't have to guess because, as as you will know, I am a massive, massive football fan. I'm a massive football lad. So I was reading about it on the way in uh, on ESPN, which is, which is website, my favourite yeah. website. Uh, and I found the story containing this magnificent quote. No woman has been appointed as manager of a men's team in senior football. Hannah Dingley was briefly in caretaker charge of EFL League Two side Forest Green Rovers during the summer. And it's just like, for, who are Forest do, do you know Green how long Rovers? She was, do you know how long she was in charge for? Uh, how long was she, she in charge I, for? I believe less than two weeks. It's, That's amazing. It, it, yeah. This is, it's just like, so I think, I, I think this is the limit of my football knowledge. But am I right in saying that EFL League Two side is actually the fourth tier? Of English football, uh, yes, we believe so. The, produ- the producer who knows is nodding. <laughs> but, um, but like, who, who the hell are Forest Green Rovers? I literally had to look up which bit of the country this was in. That's how big a side we're talking about here. Also, England men's coach is the worst job in the world. I don't yeah, know, Rob. We work in journalism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At least it is well paid. Yeah, <laughs> it does strike me that there is a massive jump between coaching a woman's side that everyone is tremendously pleased to find is doing well and coaching a men's side that everyone expects to win everything the whole time. Yes, well, I think the amount of yeah, like expectations and attention you would get from that job would be quite intense. And like with her as well, not, not being English and not being a man, I suspect that some corners of the press in the country would not be entirely thrilled and yeah, perhaps would be unreasonable in their expectations as well. Why does the press expect the England men's team to win everything all the time? Because like there really isn't a track record there that would encourage this. We you, invented it. Yeah. I mean, that's basically it, isn't it? I, I We have done much better on the whole world war thing than we ever have on the football thing so also the people you're managing i mean if you're the 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 england the the lionesses as it were are jolly pleased to be there male footballers at a professional level might not be so delighted about doing a friendly against montenegro you know Oh, the personality thing is massive, I think. So I can remember who it was uh, in the Lionesses, who I think until recently just still had another like, a, a, another full-time job like entirely on the side. You know, these are not these are not people who have been doing it since they were seven, like the men are, and they're probably not sort of, you know, multi-gazillionaires in the way that a lot of Premier League players are. And obviously that's going to create a lot of tension between the players, between the players and the coaches, etc. So, uh, no, it, it's a different ballpark altogether. What really worries me here is the possibility this is going to encourage an all-female reboot of Ted Lasso and I don't (laughs) think we need that. um, Marie, but the good news, I mean this women's football is sort of on the back pages, it's being taken seriously except by one smart speaker. Um, yes, no, I, I think generally, like, you know, on, on a brief, sincere note, it's been really, really nice and encouraging to see the papers like really get behind women's football in that way. Because I think even five years ago, that would not have happened. Uh, however, yeah, Amazon's very own Alexa um, is uh, in the digital naughty step, I guess, uh, at the moment. Because uh, apparently a few days ago, if you asked uh, Alexa for the result of the England-Australia football match today, so on the day the game happened, it said there was no match. Bad Alexa. I know, woman hating on other women. Hate yeah, to see it. Not an ally. Archaeology. It's not all swinging across pits on a bullwhip and shooting Nazis. 
Sometimes it's about keeping track of priceless artefacts. Or not. Over at the British Museum, they've been in a tizzy this week about the discovery that parts of their collection have been stolen. And not in a woke, perhaps those marbles should have stayed in Athens sense either. The museum said this week it had fired a curator after artefacts had gone missing. The curator is named in today's papers as 56-year-old Peter Higgs, who, according to his son, is maintaining his innocence. John, fill us in without getting sued. That's the question you want to hear on a Friday morning, isn't it? <laughs> uh, so, like, the Times uh, has quite a nice write-up on page three with lots of lovely details in it. Um, for a start, it's got, uh, it's got a photograph taken from um, Higgs's Facebook page uh, with no caption, in which, it's, which is a selfie of him wearing a quite terrifying mask. It doesn't say whether the mask is a priceless artefact or just something from a joke shop. It's, <laughs> but I'm it's, assuming it's something from the museum. I mean, <laughs> if it is... Why has he put it on Facebook? Well, it may. I mean, that might just be. I think that might actually have been a sort of a, a, a legit sort of work. Hey, here's a fun thing we found in the office, sort of thing. But like, even if you know, if that's like you know, an, an, an ancient Minoan mask or something, even if it's Friday afternoon, you're just <laughs> having fun in the British Museum. I feel like you don't put the ancient masks on. I definitely would because that that's how you. Would. That's how you release the evil spirits. I, I'm actually um, not sure he's wearing it. I I think if you look at that very closely, he's standing behind it. But... Ah, okay, yeah, that, in, in which case I, I withdraw my complaint. <laughs> um, there are lots of other lovely details in here. Uh, for a start, we find out that uh, Higgs lives in a three-bedroom house in Hastings, East Sussex, which he bought for £215,000 in 2014. Uh, he's been offering his services as a private tutor, uh, charging £19 an hour for English lessons, uh, but he's removed his, his profile. There's a very long quote from his son who um, was clearly doorstopped and just kind of like spilled out how much he loved his dad and how hard he works. Uh, but my, my personal favourite is the very disappointed quote from the chairman of the British Museum, which ends the story. The chairman of the British Museum, of course, being George Osborne, who um, it is becoming noticeable that every time we let George Osborne anywhere near an important British institution, something goes horribly wrong with it, <laughs> which makes me wonder why they keep giving him jobs. I mean, one of the things that, that comes out of, of these profiles of him is that you can have these these sort of these high status jobs like curator at the British Museum that are obviously really quite badly paid. I mean, I don't want to sound like, you know, the, the parody of myself I so obviously am, but I really think it all comes back to the housing market. It's like, you know, if, if housing in the south of England was not so insanely expensive, then perhaps it would not, these would not be bad salaries. But there's so many jobs out there that have what look like perfectly reasonable salaries 20 years ago yeah. um, and just now cannot get you a secure place to yes, live. Yeah, yeah. I think we should really have a feature on Paper Cuts uh, from now on where you read out literally any story and John has to find a way to bring it back to housing. Okay, I will do this if in exchange I can read out any story and Rob has to find a way of linking it to the Second World War. <laughs> Challenge accepted. <laughs> John, what is your favourite museum heist? Um, so I do actually have an answer to this, which is which I don't know how you knew. So in 1911, a man named Vincenzo Perugia uh, went to his job at the Louvre in Paris and walked out again with a Mona Lisa under his smock. <laughs> Um, and he kind of kept it hidden in, in his in his apartment for two years before taking it back to Florence. He thought he was being a patriot because it had been stolen by Napoleon, which may or may You're going to take true. that, Marie. <laughs> but the thing I really love... Not getting involved. The thing I really like about this story is until then, nobody gave the slightest of shits about the Mona Lisa. It was being stolen that kind of made it this kind of great artwork that, that everyone goes to see. Before that, it was just like a painting of a bored-looking woman. 
So maybe this is actually really good for the priceless artefacts. Marie, I mean, staying with this story for a moment, do you feel for the papers when the readers desperately want material on these stories, but it's obviously a legal minefield? Sort of, because then again, I feel like it, it, it's kind of fun. I've, I've not worked in a newsroom for a while now, but I think I used to always enjoy that the, those sorts of stories where the game is basically how much information can we find that's technically new? Is it relevant? Eh, but, you know, like we just need to fill the page and you can just be like, I found a Facebook picture and someone goes, I found where they live, etc. Like I got a quote from like someone's uncle's cousin. Um, so, so I think it, it's actually just quite fun. I mean, it's, it, one of the nice things for the papers about Peter Higgs is it turns out that he's both he has a Facebook page that with full of photos that they can mine, but also he's he's been photographed le- next to lots of things. Oh yeah, again as a former picture desco, that would have been a great day. Yeah, you you've got him. You've got him with all sorts of different things. Elsewhere in no wrongdoing being suggested, Marie, um, can you bring us up to speed on the latest in the Crooked Pub saga? I would love nothing more, Rob. Um, so a, a new player has entered the arena in the story of the Crooked Pub that burned down for no obvious reason. Um, so the Times has lots of detail on this. And yes, our, 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 new, our new best friend uh, is uh, called Morgan McGrath. Uh, he is 51. Um, and he Has he done anything interesting before being connected with the Crooked Pub saga? It is amazing you should ask me that, Rob, uh, because he was uh, convicted of uh, running a £20 million international drug smuggling operation. Would you, perchance, like to hear the details of this? How many drugs do you get for £20 million? So, actually, quite a lot. There's so a you... cost of living crisis. <laughs> that, I mean, like... yeah. at, the time, at the time, you could get 48 kilos of heroin, 198 kilos of cannabis resin, um, 600k ecstasy tablets, 600k temazepam tablets, and 132 kilos of amphetamines. Uh, speed, basically, um, which is quite a lot of drugs. I would agree. Um, and yeah, so anyway, so it turns out he uh, runs the company that hired the digger to demolish the pub, um, which famously the digger, which was hired b- before the fire took place. Um, Again, I'm just stating the facts here, but I would say my favourite bit of this story is that the times when to confront that guy. Um, and especially mentioned, you know, his, his quite unsavoury past. Um, and McGrath said, I don't see why my past has to do with anything. Every sinner has a past. Every saint has a future. Which that's... I think that good thinking on your feet, isn't it? Like, I wouldn't say that if someone just came up to me. <laughs> Sweet. I mean, maybe he said that to the judge as well. I don't know. <laughs> isn't it great that all of these things are happening in August? Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, we all love a fun, fishy story, especially one that's kind of A, full of details and colour, but B, you know, that feels a bit like a TV series where every day there's a new detail, a new person coming in, etc. And yet, what timing? Because usually, you know, m- mid-August is, is not the funkiest time, I would say, for news desks everywhere. And now it's competition time. Every Friday at Paper Cuts, we pick a moment where the subs let the ball get past them. We choose a story with a below-par headline and go on to Twitter and threads with the hashtag FixTheHeadline and ask you, the listener, to tell us how you would have done better. Today, the mail has... Humans beat bots when it comes to online dating. Which is... I mean, it's, it's okay... It's okay, but come on, people, it's computers and it's dating and we know you can do better. So head over to Threads and Twitter, give us your best shot, and the best one will win a beautiful, vegan, apparently, paper cut T-shirt. <laughs> Meanwhile, what have the professionals come up with today? 
Marie. In The Sun, we have the story of uh, the British Museum uh, stolen uh, things, and they went for Raider of the Lost Artifacts Revealed. Raider of the Lost Artifacts, very good. Yep, excellent. Yeah, yeah, no, we like that. Um, And then The Mirror gave um, what is, by all accounts, a middling review of uh, new superhero movie Blue Beetle and called it Bug Standard. Very good. Well done. John. So our old friend the star, uh, who I always call our old friend the star, that's getting to be a cliche, has got a story about how um, young people are more likely to turn off their alarm than than older people. Uh, And the headline is, it's Gen Uh, and uh, t- two pages later, they've got a, this is actually a really sad story about a woman uh, who was almost uh, sent to prison for biting a police officer on the arm uh, until somebody pointed out she didn't have any teeth and therefore it, could, it couldn't be considered assault because she basically just did some sucking. Uh, the, <laughs> apparently the bobby just felt a squeeze. Um, this, poor woman is, this poor woman is 33 years old, by the way. Anyway, the headline is Gum Off It. <laughs> really glad we're getting entertainment out of that tragedy. Right. And I've got one as well. In tribute to the excellent Twitter feed, News or Fall Song, I present, from the Times, Drug Past a Wonky Pub Digger Boss. <laughs> nice. Now, speaking of stories that swerve all over the place, let's turn to the Labour Party. There is a striking story on the front page of the FT today suggesting that the party is watering down its commitment to workers' rights. Marie, give us the lowdown. Um, So, yes, according to the FT, that's a big exclusive story again, like splashed across the front page. The Labour Party has diluted its 2021 pledge to create a single status of worker for all but the self-employed. So meaning gig economy workers, etc. would have been brought in under that umbrella, which means a lot, obviously, for workers' rights. And and they'd also originally uh, planned to introduce basic individual rights from day one for all workers, which includes people on probation, etc. So apparently they're kind of yeah, like diluting those commitments, and they've gone really big on that. There's now becoming a, a, a set narrative about Keir Starmer's Labour Party, isn't there? Mm. There is, and I think papers love an angle they can kind of like hammer again and again. Uh, and that story kind of feels like one of those. And the, the the kind of yeah narrative they're going for at the moment is Labour, like Keir Starmer, loves to U-turn and loves to see it water down any commitment he'd made when he was trying to get elected as leader or even in the first year of his leadership. Um, but, but yeah, but what's quite interesting about this as well is that if you've looked at it overnight at people who know and understand the Labour Party, they're actually arguing that, you know, it's not that big a change at all. And you know, the unions have signed off on it as well, which means that it, it can't be as bad, you know, for workers' rights as... Uh, people might think um, but yeah so again it, it very much feels like the papers have found their thing and their thing is they U-turn and flip-flop and also um, yeah watering down everything they used to stand for which is quite an interesting uh, thing John as a man of the left how excited are you by Keir Starmer's absolute determination to avoid saying anything that Tories could attack I mean he is trying to make himself the living embodiment of the Better things aren't possible, isn't he? <laughs> um, things I'm, can only stay the same. I mean, like it's. I, I go back and forth on this because I do. I do understand the electoral logic of like just do not present a target. Just like all you have to do, like the Tories are going to lose this election. All he has to do is not do anything that kind of frightens the horses. I do understand that. But on the other hand, it is just immensely depressing watching you know the leader of the Labour Party. Absolutely the Labour refusing, Party. Absolutely refusing to say anything that might for a moment be misconstrued as progressive. But again, if you look back at the 90s, this is kind of what Tony Blair did and that worked. So I, I, can't, I can't decide, but I'm not happy about it, Rob. I'm not happy about it. Do you... Do you... That I'm not happy about it, but I'm not going to do anything. It's not going to be what Keir Starmer is doing. So. <laughs> he said he didn't like it, but he'd have to go along with it. <laughs> 
Do you do you think it's fair? In fact, Marie, it, 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 the, the, this is the sort. Of, I mean, this is Greg Hands is all over the, the Twitters today saying, you know, latest Labour flip flop. Oh he's, he's got that bloody note out again. He, well, he hasn't got the note out. No, but he's got a graphic. Mm. Yay. Um, uh, is this is this actually a fair fair casting of what's going on? Well, I, I, I think it's interesting because it, it's part of a wider pattern. So as, as a standalone story, I'm not convinced it's absolutely fascinating or, again, is a kind of like marks a sea of change in the way the Labour Party is engaging with business. Um, but, but it's, yeah, mostly part of a pattern. Although there is one last thing I wanted to uh, mention in this story, which is that apparently, according to Labour insiders, the party is trying to you know get closer to business, but they're calling it the smoked salmon and scrambled egg offensive which I find just like there's such a weird bit in politics of trying to like assign food to like groups of people. I mean, I'm really cetera, hungry which I find, now. No, well, same. <laughs> um, but it's such. A, also, it feels quite outdated. Like, but you know, like yeah, smoked salmon and scrambled eggs feels like a very like ten years ago fancy brunch, not a today fancy. They brunch. don't eat smoked salmon and scrambled eggs in the red wall, though, do they? <laughs> And now, at last, let's turn to the fun bits of the papers. Um, Are you saying the Labour Party is not the fun bit? <laughs> I, am, I think it's the fun very, bit. Yeah, it's <laughs> that and housing policy, even, really. Even more fun, even <laughs> more fun than Wes Streeting and Rachel Reeves. <laughs> is, um, is, I give you the fantastic headline, Wag War 2. Who wants to great. talk about Wag War 2? I mean, I'm not dying to, but I can. Go on, go for it. <laughs> um, no, well, so this is about uh, Vogue's digital cover in September, and obviously the September issue of Vogue being like the main uh, massive one. We have the digital ones. They've got a different one in print, but the digital one is Colleen Rooney uh, of, of WAG trial fame. Um, and she's done a big tell-all interview, so like explaining what it's been like for her, the kind of, you know, uh, the court case, but even everything that happened beforehand, um, and you know when the suspicion started against Rebecca Vardy, etc. So yeah, so is, is the the big tell all tell um, is uh, in vogue. So there one. isn't even another. There's not another war. This is like someone writing their World War One memoir rather than yeah. It's basically the that. Yeah, war. yeah. Like that's the yeah. Survivors. Yeah, but they're, they're, um, she's she's got a memoir. There's a TV series. I mean, I, I have to say, I I like Glyn Rooney more and more every time I encounter her. I, I don't know. I'm slightly at the stage where I'm like, okay, but like this is done now. Like we, we we did the trial. The trial was in the news nonstop for what felt like 75 years. But like you know, like hopefully like this can be the end. But I s- yeah somehow feel that it's not going to be at the end at all, and we'll be hearing about wog wars uh, for a very long time. Can, can I can I just shock you? There is there is a housing policy angle on this one. Bring it! <laughs> oh God! <laughs> Which is the the figure in the Vogue story that um the Rooney's live in a six bed house. Which cost twenty million pounds. It's like that's that that feels like not a lot of bedrooms. I mean, I have a I pounds. have a three bed house that didn't. Is it worth ten, 10 million? million. <laughs> no, I like the idea of them like knocking down walls. Actually, it, it used to be a twelve bedroom house, but they now just have gigantic bedrooms. <laughs> bedrooms you can play cricket in. I mean, or football, presumably. But John, what's killing me? Uh, well, Rob, do you have a smile? I keep using your name today. I don't know. It sounds really passive aggressive. I don't know why I keep doing that. Yeah, I slightly feel like I'm having breakfast with my divorcing parents. Like, oh, John. <laughs> well, do you 
happen to have a smartwatch? I do have a smartwatch. That's killing you. Great. Uh, there's a there's a report in uh, a, a Dutch medical journal, I believe, uh, reported on page three of the Telegraph about how the the plastic strap of your smartwatch uh, is is a terrible place for bacterial growth. Uh, apparently, also uh, earbuds are quite bad for it as well. What really throws me about this story, though, is like, as far as I can tell, the actual journal report just seems to be saying watch straps generally. And the Telegraph has decided that smartwatches and Apple watches in particular are, are havens for bacteria. Maybe waves going I, from... Yeah, I, I think they're just trying to scare the old people again. <laughs> yeah, with your crazy new smartwatches. Don't like change. Newfangled new new telling the time. Finally, we are happy to bring you an update on a story from earlier this week. Elton John Tribute Act Colin Lowe has been cleared of supplying £100,000 worth of cocaine which for 1970s Elton was called Wednesday Night. The the 57-year-old rocket man impersonator said a friend had put what he thought was a box of cigarettes in his car. So we're just happy to clarify that. And that brings us to the end of today's Paper Cuts. Thanks to John Ellidge. Thanks, Rob. Thanks to Marie LeConte. Thanks, guys. Who'll keep me? (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening. And don't forget to follow Paper Cuts on your favourite podcast app. Like us, feel free to leave a five-star review. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Paper Cuts Show. Links are in the show notes. Don't forget, fix the headline. Follow our Twitter and threads for a story with a rubbish headline that you can improve and you might win a T-shirt. I've been Rob Hutton. You've been listening to Paper Cuts on a day when Italy's Parmesan makers turned to microtechnology to stop counterfeiters, giving a new meaning to cheese with chips. See you next time. <laughs> Paper Cuts was written and presented by Rob Hutton with John Elledge and Marie Leconte. The group editor was Andrew Harrison. The managing editor of News was Jacob Jarvis. And the producer was Sophie Black. The music was composed by Simon Williams and the executive producer was Martin Boytosh.